Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Nice morning this morning. Uh, Temperatures are going to be a little cool, but that means that uh, this is a good day to do the physical labor that you may have been putting off. You know, because it was so hot this summer. Nobody wanted to go out and do that. Well, we're out of that weather now, folks. (laughs) There's uh, bad things about this good weather. Of course, I'm a bit of a pessimist. First off, there's no rain in the next week. And we didn't get a whole lot of rain the last week before it. So we're still way behind on our water, way behind. Fortunately, because because of the cooler weather, because of the cooler weather, we don't have such a demand for water. Now, this is going to seem weird. I tend to do that. Uh, This is going to seem pretty strange. Uh, We're not getting cold enough yet. These are wonderful temperatures for fall veggies. They really are. I mean, I got tomatoes yet, lots of tomatoes. My Juliet's putting out tomatoes more than I would get in the spring. And like I mentioned, I've got big bell peppers. They're just starting to get a blush on them. But we have an issue with our fruit trees. We have to have a certain amount of cold for our fruit trees to actually set fruit. Um, Let me get back to that in a second. Let's go to the phone. This is Pam. Pam, what can I help you with? Jeff, thank you for taking my call. I have been a very lucky girl this year. I put in a small fig tree in the spring and it survived the summer and it had two tiny little figs on it. Uh, now I'm concerned about what to do if we have a really hard winter. What should I nothing. do for it? Other than, you know, you can make sure there's a good layer of mulch to help protect the mm-hmm. roots from freezing. You got to remember, you're going to have that fig outside from now till the fig quits. So... Mm-hmm. There's not a lot you can do. You just give it the things it needs to be happy and healthy. And that way it'll make it through the winters. Now, don't be surprised if it freezes to the ground. A small young fig will do that. And in the spring, you'll get new shoots coming up. Okay. But there's not a lot that you need to do to it. 
yeah. Should I give it some seaweed now? Um, or I know that strengthens the roots and all. It's looking great. I, I mean, it, it's just looking great. I am really surprised that it, it looks really good. So just give it a, about two inches of mulch. That would be fine, yes. Okay, that's enough. Okay. All right. So I shouldn't wrap the trunk or do any of that stuff. It's just going to have to learn to go on its own, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, unless you want to do that every year for the life of the fig, there's really yeah. no purpose in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want to work that hard. So. You're right. Okay. I, well, I, things I totally are looking agree. good. I, I mean, to look at the landscape here right now, you'd never know we had a horrible drought this summer. It just is beautiful after all that rain. So I I'm thankful I'm for that. that the, and the flowers that are blooming are amazing. They're really yep. doing well. So I agree. Yeah. It's, it's good. Well, I thank you for all your advice, and uh, I will watch after my little pig. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for the call. Let's see here. Um, one of the things, and Pam brings an emphasis to it. When you plant a tree, think about that a minute. It's a tree. It's not something you put in the ground and then you dig it back up later and move it around or whatever. And you don't dig them up to bring them inside to keep them warm. They're trees. They are supposed to be out in our environment. Are there environments that are too cold sometimes? You bet. I lost a 40-plus-year-old fig to the freeze apocalypse. It was devastating to me because it was such a producer. I've lo I lost um, two apple trees, one, two, yeah, two apple trees to the heat. Couldn't get water to them, couldn't keep them happy. They died, so they're coming out. It looks like I lost a pair too, but I, I, I don't know yet. That's the environment they grow up in. If you do what you're supposed to, layer compost maybe a couple times a year, make sure they're mulched, even in super cold weather, it helps protect the roots, water when they need it, they'll be happy. But skip any one of those steps and you can lose the tree. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Um, Got to take a break. Be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's, uh, let's go to the phone. This is... Um, Susie, Susie, what can I help you with? Good morning. Yes, ma'am. Um, I have a, or had a beautiful 35-year-old foxtail fern in a, uh, about a four to five gallon Dixie cup shaped plastic pot. And it was extremely overwatered 
over about a five-day period six weeks ago. It's lost about 85 to 90 percent of its fronds. Uh, I removed it from the pot yesterday, cut it in half with a serrated knife, and it's still wet. It's gone anaerobic and root rot. I'm wondering if it's possible to clean it up and uh, possibly save the 10 to 15 percent of it that's left uh, and try to save it. It's very sentimental to me. Understood. Yes, you should be able to do that because it's so soaked, and that may be what caused the problem. If you pulled it out of the pot and you separated it, take the best part of the plant and put new fresh soil in the pot. Put the 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 foxtail back in the pot with this new fresh soil and the fresh soil will be drier and will take some of the moisture away from those roots that are being damaged they'll help dry it out a little bit other than that just be careful of how it does get watered it should only be watered when it actually needs it but uh, that would be one way to kind of soak away to withdraw the too much water that's currently around the plant. Now, this isn't going to fix it overnight, but it will help improve it and get it on the road to being healthy again. Okay, do I try to wash all that anaerobic soil away from the roots before I and then put fresh soil? You don't normally have to go to that much trouble. But if you wanted to, if you want to try to rinse the roots off carefully, they're delicate, and then put it in new fresh soil, that uh, can help. Um, but it's, it's not going to guarantee anything. In other words, it may not be worth all the effort. If you I don't mind take, putting in a lot of effort. <laughs> I understand, but if you uh, take the plant and get the best of the roots, the best of what's growing on the plant, and put it in new potting soil, that moisture will get removed very quickly. Um, okay. That's probably the, the going anaerobic. That's the way to fix it is to try to get the water out of there. Okay. So that would be uh that would be one way to try to recover the plant. Okay, I cut off the the pot is about 20 inches deep and I cut off about th- at least 3 inches of the b- very bottom already. I it was just mush, so I cut that mm-hmm. off. Uh so I have these big uh, well, I call them big. They're not as big as my little finger, but they're they're we're just solid around the sides of the pot. Roots. Roots. Yes, okay. roots solid around the that, sides of the pot. The bottom cont- of the pot had just turned to mush. That contributed to the water problem. It wasn't draining very well. So if you're moving it. And you cut the plant back, you're not putting as much root back into the container. That'll help the water drain more efficiently. 
and that'll help prevent the anaerobic situa- situation. Excuse me. So okay. that's going to help a lot by getting Is rid of some of those. Product, are there any products that I can use to try? Uh, what about Rutone or anything to help help them One help of, it? Part of the problem with that is it's overwatered. And any yes. product you were going to add to the roots is mixed with water. So let it dry a little first. Wait till the soil gets down to where, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. It's still a, it can be damp, but you want to get some of that excess moisture out of there. Once you do, seaweed solution helps promote root growth. So you could follow the directions on a bottle of seaweed and um, do that maybe once a month. And that will help produce new roots for the plant. Okay. Okay. Well, I've got it out of the pot. It's been out of the pot for 24 hours now. And and I just broke the pot all up getting it out. Cut it in half. Uh, I think there are several fronds on each half they don't look great but they do see they still are green so uh that i'll work on it and see what i can do thank you so much for your thanks advice. for the call susie um yeah folks that pot that container got root bound when you get so many roots and they grow so big they start blocking the drainage, the drainage out of the pot, which makes it stay wet, which is not the situation the plant wants. Let's go to the phone. This is Alexis. Alexis, what can I help you with? Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was wondering if it was too late to plant peach trees or a fig tree or both, and what varieties I should plant if it's not too late. Um, you're a little early, actually. The nurseries will be getting in uh, new fruiting tree stock soon. Usually, they'll get it in in January. And you will have a selection of all kinds of different peach trees. Um, There'll be different kinds of figs you can get. And it would be better to do those as a spring planting, early in the spring, after any risk of the serious cold is gone. We usually get pounded by the cold in February. So you could get the plants, and then you can just keep them in their containers to protect them if we get real cold, and as soon as we're past that chance, plant them then. That's probably going to be a March planting time. That will help okay. let them get established quickly. So what variety do you recommend? I, I'm out in Lakeway, Texas, and we have a lot of limestone out here. Uh, for the record, most of Texas is limestone. So don't <laughs> feel like the Lone yeah, Ranger in that one. Um, what varieties 
do you have a nursery out there you go to? Yeah, I'm really close to um, Natural Gardener, and sometimes I go out to Backbone Nursery. Okay, ask them. The okay. more local the nursery, the more they're going to know about what you're having to deal with in terms of the soil. Peaches will manage here, even in the nasty caliche. Figs can do pretty well here, regardless of the soil. So ask them what varieties will work best in your location. I need to talk about this after the break because there's more to it than just the soil. So thanks for the call. I got a break for the news at the bottom of the hour. I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey folks. Lovely day today. Should be running outside. <clears throat> Want to make a, a point. I started this this morning. I'm sorry was answering calls, I want to get back to this. We haven't been real cold this year. We're a little above average in our temperatures. And we have to have, have to have cold. So here's part of the problem. Each fruit tree has a certain number of what's called chill hours. And the problem with that is a chill hour is the time between 45 degrees and 32 degrees. That seems kind of silly. There's this really narrow window. Well, some trees hardly require any. Our pear trees, believe it or not, need some chill hours, but it's such a low number that we just don't really care. Some trees, like our peaches, need a very specific number of hours depending on the type of peach. So if I want... Um, a certain peach tree in my area, I need to know what my chill hours average for that area. Now, that's actually um, kind of easy to do. A&M uh, does keep various maps of what the average chill hours are in this area. Now, normally in central Texas, outside of Austin, we are somewhere between six and 800 chill hours. What happens, what happens is if we get too many chill hours, 
it's possible the tree will bloom thinking that it's ready to go. And the problem will be that we'll get a late freeze. And the late freeze will freeze off all the blooms. That way you won't get any fruit. Now the reverse is true. If you have a tree that requires 800 hours and we only get 500, it may not bloom at all. So that's the importance of when you pick up a tree, you really need to know, uh, you really need to know what number of chill hours that tree needs and how many chill hours you get. So that's why your local nursery is your savior. They keep track of this. They bring in the varieties that are appropriate for Central Texas. Now, I used to have a weather station. They're not expensive. Um, they're called personal weather stations, PWSs. You can use your search engine. You can find lots of companies that sell them. Many of them have software that will calculate the chill hours for you and tell you how many you have in a particular season. Now, of course, this takes time. You have to kind of guess if you want a tree today and you're not going to get the weather station till later. Again, your local independent nursery is your savior here. They know what happens, how many hours they get. We had uh, one at the Natural Gardener, and we kept track of the number of chill hours we had to deal with. One year we had 700. One year we had less than 600. So it can vary. We used to sell trees, surprisingly, that required more hours than we were measuring. We weren't aware of that. And where I live, I purchase fruit trees, I purchase peaches, and put them in the ground. And of the, I don't know, I had them in the ground about eight years. Of those eight years, I don't think I ever hit my freeze hour target. I always was under what those trees needed. At the time I purchased them, that number of chill hours was appropriate. But we've warmed up. You know, they just released a new USDA map talking about the zones. What is the average cold that we get? And it's shown that it's warming up. It has for the last two maps, we're up roughly 10 degrees over the last um, two maps, which is about 40 years. That means 
it is in your best interest to purchase a fruiting tree that needs fewer chill hours than more chill hours. It increases your odds of getting fruit. Now, there's a trick you can do by getting two trees. Get one that needs what is considered the top end, the top end of our chill hours in this area. Get one that needs what is the bottom end of our chill hours for this area. That helps improve the odds that at least one of them will produce fruit in a given year. I hate to go to the trouble to plant the trees and take care of them, only to find out that the environmental conditions are never gonna let them be good trees. Again, I'm sorry to beat this horse, your local independent nursery is the key the key to getting a proper fruit tree you can't just grab the ones at a big box store they don't guarantee you the best performance for central texas Folks, I got to take a quick break. I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody. Um, talking about chill hours and buying fruit trees. Now, this is kind of a gamble. Your local nursery will have the proper trees. But you have to gamble because when you put a fruit tree in the ground, it can take five years before it maximizes its performance. Now, some trees may produce a fruit in year two. Some trees may produce fruit much later than that. But be patient. And the problem with it is if you purchase the tree today with X number of chill hours, five years from now, the environment can change enough that guess what? That's not the right number of chill hours. So it's frustrating. You have to somewhat be able to predict the future or guess well. Hard to tell. Let's go to the phone. This is Tom. Tom, what can I help you with? Hey, Jeff. Love the show. Thank you. Hey, quick question for you. Um, So as it relates to Bermuda grass, so, you know, based on that awful summer we had and uh, you know, some of the recent rains we've had over the last three or four weeks. The Bermuda grass under a few large trees I have came back. It, it's green, it's beautiful, but there's other parts of my lawn where it's literally still, it looks burnt, like it was just burnt to a crisp, and it's it looks like it might be dead. Now, 
if I try to bring that back to life, I mean, do I just aerate it and then just spread some Bermuda grass seed over the top to have it regrow, or how, how do I operate that? Okay, first off, that's not a bad idea, what you just said. However, Bermuda grass needs warmer temperatures than we're getting to germinate well. So you may spread that grass, and because we're going into winter and it's cooling off, they may not germinate. And that may be a waste of both your time and your money. So you may yeah. have to wait till later in the spring to do that. You should have some faith in the Bermuda. It may be difficult to tell whether that grass is going to recover or not, or it just went dormant and went, ah, forget it, I'll come back next year. What you can try to do is you can try to pull up some Bermuda root. Wouldn't take much and see how supple the root is, or is it there at all? And that would give you an idea that, no, you know, I got to do something to this for next spring so that you can let the grass that did come back continue to spread out into the areas where it didn't. Now, uh, can't you liquid type, I won't say they're exactly fertilizers, but they'll improve the soil, which will make a big difference in helping the Bermuda get going. Things like seaweed, even on that dead grass. Things like uh, uh, molasses, Medina soil activator. Those products can really get rid of the hardness that happened because of the heat and can, if there are any roots at all going, really help those roots come back. Uh, that's really helpful. So if I say it back to you, what you're saying is like, either way, if I, if I do end up planting more grass, I, I would ideally wait till the springtime. So if I wait till the springtime, that gives it a chance to see a, is, is more of it alive and if I if I if I do plant, I would I would just do it in the springtime anyway, right? Right. Now I'll give you one more option. Try not to make it confusing or difficult. At this time of the year, you could plant um, rye grass, perennial or annual rye. That can germinate in these cooler temperatures. The roots of the ryegrass will break up that hard soil, and that will help kind of reestablish the tilth of the ground for you. Then your Bermuda can overrun it when it gets warmer, or you can just mow it short early in the spring and reseed with the Bermuda. Uh, the ryegrass will die out in the heat, but the Bermuda will come back. So if you want green... You can do that right now with uh, the ryegrass. If you're not in a hurry and you can deal with it, work on making the soil better and plant the Bermuda in the spring as soon as it's able. Wow, that's great. Great advice. Thank you very much, Jeff. You bet. Uh, I got to tell you, though, the problem with the ryegrass is you're out there in January and you're still mowing. I hate that. <laughs> but yeah. it'll be nice and rich and green for you. Yeah, well, that's what I have kids for. Got it. Got it. Nothing like child labor, right? Right. 
Thanks. Let's see here. Tom, thanks for the call. Do we have time? We do. Becky, what can I help you with? I just need to know, I just need to know how to trim my persimmon tree. It's um, two years old, and it's about 10 feet tall now. It did produce a few persimmons on the end, but it's way too tall uh, now to deal with when it comes back next year. So how do I prune that? You understand that that tree can be 15 to 20 foot tall at maturity, right? Yes. And it wants to be that tall. So you're trimming it for your convenience to reach the persimmon is actually going to not be good for the tree. Hello? Yes? If you keep trying to top a tree to keep it a given height, and that tree's natural height is bigger than that, you are not helping the tree out at all. You can okay. get yourself a fruit pick, a fruit picker basket. It's a pole with a kind of like a basket and claw on the end to be able to reach the fruit you can. And that works well. It's not particularly expensive or difficult. Or you can, I, I work out a deal with the birds. I tell them they can have anything I can't reach, just don't get my fruit. And it tends to work out pretty decently. So if you got ones way up there, that keeps the birds from eating all the good ones down where you can reach them. But right. you, you still trim a persimmon just like you would a regular tree. Two branches that cross each other and rub together, pick one. You don't want that happening. And you will okay. see a situation where you'll have one branch that seems to be growing on top of the other. They'll be, rather than spread out, they'll be, here's a branch, right above it's another little branch. <clears throat> you should pick the best one and remove, whether it's the upper one or the lower one, you should have uh -huh. just a single branch there. Okay. All right. Good to know. Hey, listen, thanks a lot. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for the call. I'm always jealous of folks who get persimmons. I have a persimmon, and I have had it for years. I have not got much fruit off of it. It's produced fruit, and... You know, they turn this beautiful color of orange, and it must be some special color of orange because the first thing it does is calls in the mockingbirds who ruin the fruit for me. So, like I said, I used to have figs, the mocking, mockingbirds would pick the figs, and I worked out a deal. If I could reach it, I got it. If I couldn't reach it, they could have it. And it seemed to work pretty good. My persimmon isn't big enough to cause that and hasn't produced enough fruit to be able to use that plan, but I always have hope. You know, today is, uh, today is going to be some really pretty nice weather. Low 70s. We don't have a freeze in sight. Statistically, 
December 1st was our average first freeze in the Austin area. Those of you in outlying areas, I'm sorry, I know you've got colder already. But um, we're staying surprisingly warm here in the Austin area. We look like we're going to have another week without a freeze. And hopefully, uh, we aren't going to have a freeze apocalypse like we did that one year. Because that was just too much. That was definitely too much. And I don't know some of our plants that survived the freeze apocalypse. If we had another one, they may give up. But we got to have some cold. We have to have some cold. It will encourage the fruit trees to bloom. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Coming up on the top of the hour, we're going to break for news. I'll catch you on the other side. 